Welcome to How Did You Manage That? A podcast where we talk to music managers about their journeys, all the lows, all the highs and everything in between. My name's Ali McRae. I'm Sophie Pallet. This is a podcast for managers. You brilliant, beautiful, courageous, wild, caring bunch. People that are, I guess in some ways, gluttons for punishment, but ultimately people that are just believers. They find an act they love and they do everything in their power to advance their career. So we started this podcast to find out the stories behind those people. And to be honest, no two stories are the same. A hundred percent, Ali. I like that. Believers is the really, and just they've got just keeping the faith, endless faith. Isn't that amazing? This week, I'm on my Todd again. Boo. Chatting. Sorry. <laughs> Chatting to none other than Simon King, the manager of this year's Brit award-winning breakthrough act, Tom Walker. So, Tom has had an incredible 18 months. He's had a number one album, What a Time to Be Alive, won a Brit. His huge single Leave a Light On has gone gold and platinum all over the world. It's a massive song. It is a massive song. And his last single, You and I, has also just gone gold. Full disclosure here, because we like truth on this podcast is what it's all about. I work on Tom's radio team. And last week I was with him at Wembley Stadium where he played to over 85,000 people. He did a guitar solo, which was his dream at Wembley, which I was so happy to be there for to see. And he's had quite a ride. He really is a brilliant subject to bring on the podcast because he's, as you say, just achieved a massive success with Tom. As not many folk can say, oh yeah, I was just down at Wembley with my artist. Uh, but he's been in management for 20 years and he's worked across many, many different jobs. And as you'll hear him say in the podcast, he often had to do that covertly when he was doing something else. Um, there's a few brilliant bits to watch out for in this episode. Sophie's got a total killer question about dealing with an artist at the start of their career when you have that kind of moment of doubt of, what if this doesn't work? And yeah, there's loads of brilliant chats between Sophie and Simon in this episode. So thanks to everybody who's been reaching out again. We get so many emails and tweets and instant messages and DMs every day with people saying that they love the podcast. It's really helped them. It's made them feel like their journey in management isn't so scary and they're not so alone. So again, please keep sending all that feedback in. We love it, love it, love it. And we'll just try and make the podcast better because of it. We are glad that you're enjoying it. A big thank you to, as well, of course, to the MMF who helped put this podcast together and our brilliant sponsors, AWOL, who without their support, we wouldn't be able to make the podcast. So shall we get on with it, Ali? Yes, we should do that. Okay, here we go. I caught up with Simon to have a chat about the past 18 months and his journey up to this point. Here it is. I'm here with Simon King. Hello. Covert Management manages... Tom Walker, who I think it's actually fair to say on this podcast, we did record this podcast about nine months ago, didn't we? The first time. But then in those nine months... Things have changed. Things have become huge for you. Incredible. So first off, congratulations on all the Tom's success. You've had a Brit for Best Newcomer. You've had a number one album with Tom. Yep. You've also had a... Two top ten singles. Two top ten singles. Maybe top five. Fingers crossed when we are recording this pod, it looks like he's going to have a top five this week. Third week of March we're in now. Just timestamp that. Um, So, wow, we're back. Yeah. So, incredible. Um, 
do you have you got any reflection on do you remember when we recorded the last pod and I think you said I listened back to it the day and you said something like oh I just want to make sure that Tom gets this album out into the world and whatever it will do it will do but I'm just happy for him to have that access and have to protect him as an artist and make sure he can carry on doing music for the rest of his life and that was sort of your your very sort of zen ethos towards Tom and now are you like well now I want another number one album and now I want this and now I want that or how do you how do you feel when you reflect back on it um, how do I reflect back on it? You know, everyone has worked absolutely hard and Tom especially has just grafted and grafted. And we've spent five years from when I first met him and built over that five year period from live to promo to building relationships, writing songs to Tom growing as an artist, understanding who he is, being able to cope with all the promo interviews and media and his confidence of knowing he can deliver um, and I think the main thing we've always said is we've always wanted time to enable the dots to be joined in a streaming market, which is all about single tracks. Tom is an album selling artist that is global and we need to make sure people have enough time to discover who he is like him and buy into who he is as an artist. Um, and we've done that. You know, we the album was at one point penciled in for October and we moved it back to March. And since October, we had giant TVs all around the world. We've had radios, we've had, and all of that has resulted in the Brits, uh, the Brit Award and the number one album. Amazing. So let's take it back a little bit and um, look at your journey to becoming a manager. Um, what was, how did you get into it in the first place? What was your sort of journey and how did you come across Tom and pick him up as an artist? I used to be in a band, failed musician, those that can't. Um, <laughs> and um, I was sort of acting, doing a lot of managerial stuff for the band. And then we got management and then ended up working, sort of consulting, working with that management company and learned a lot. And I just sort of have stumbled my way through managing different acts and artists and writers. I've had across different genres from both classical music to rock to indie to pop to all sorts of things. And, you know, you learn the only way you learn is by doing it, making mistakes and just picking things up as you go along. And I've also worked for Universal Publishing and a music supervisor at BBH, the ad agency, and I've worked in PR and I've worked in TV. So I've worn many hats over the years. And each time I do that, you learn a bit more and you you know learn what you love. And I've always been drawn back to management. And um, uh, after various different acts across doing different things, yeah, I met Tom five years ago. Um, a friend of mine sent me a track a year before I sort of took him on. And it was good, but it felt kind of he wasn't sure who he was as an artist. A year later, I got a song sent to me and I just knew. And I remember exactly where I was sitting on my bed in my old house. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, I've got to meet this guy. And uh, I think the following week we met in a cafe and Tom turned up in an luminous yellow jacket and a ripped jumper. And um, we just got on. And then, you know, we five years later, here we are. Was there ever a feeling when you met him that you knew you wanted to manage him and that's what the meeting was about? Or was it a feeling of, I really like this guy, I want to see what he's about and how I can help him? And if it was a management feeling, what what was in your head to, and so I think it's quite an interesting question we ask a lot of the managers, to try and woo him, to make him w- want to work with you, but that sort of thing. Um, I think for me, the most important thing is... You- I've got to be myself and I think they've got to be themselves and we've got to see if the relationship works. So it's all very well me going, I love this track. I love the way you write songs and I love your voice and there's something unique about it. And from a business marketing musical point of view, I want to be involved, but then it's all about relationships, especially artist managers. I think you have to have that right balance of personalities. I always look for an artist who will listen and, you know, 
the communication has got to be amazing. It's that is everything. And, you know, they will go through a change process. You will go through a learning and changing process with them. Um, and, but we just got on and it was, it was good. And I normally do sort of work together for three months before I ask to get into any sort of contract. So we know we can test it out and go, actually, we are on the same page. We do work well together. We communicate well. Um, and we both want to do this. Um, so there's a never, a, I mean, there's always a gut instinct of going, I think this is something special here. And then you meet them and you go, I definitely want to do this. And then you need to kind of just delve. It's like any relationship with anyone, ever girlfriend, boyfriend you ever had, you go, hey, this could be great. And then you realize they're crazy or you realize that you're not compatible or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it's lucky it's worked out. And, you know, all the team around have expanded. And I sort of describe us as a bit like a dysfunctional family. Tom and I are a bit like brothers. We, you know, we argue, we fight, but we both love each other. And, you know, it's, it's up and down. It's like any family. And we have cousins and brothers, tour managers and other people in the group. And it's all bit bonkers but at the end of the day we all get on really well and we all want the same thing okay so um going back to you as much as tom is amazing um what i think was really interesting was you said that you didn't just go into music management from the off from your first sort of awareness of it and i think a lot of younger managers who are listening today they think that they have to leave college or uni or school and become a manager straight away but i think it was interesting that you said that you worked in pr you worked in advertising you worked in sync so all these different things did you find that they were really beneficial in you being the manager you are today because you have more of an external uh, internal idea of what goes on and how campaigns and things can be formed yeah absolutely i mean i think I guess partly was management. It takes a while to make money and you never know if you're ever going to make any money, um, especially enough to survive off. So um, from doing it on, I generally manage, have always managed on the side off and on for most of the time, whether that be bands or songwriters. And I think, you know, a lot of the time, if you can get the freedom to do that, you have to do that. And I mean, covert talent, management's called covert talent because I had to in some jobs I had to do it under the radar of my day job so <laughs> it was kind of like a combination of both everyone has a bit of a hidden talent and I'm trying to hide myself from what I'm doing on a day job so um but yeah from everything from you know PR understanding how it works what's going behind the scenes um meeting some journalists and getting an understanding to sync has been phenomenally important for Tom and our other clients as well to get their music out there, generate an income, generate awareness, um, under, working for Universal Publishing, understanding the whole publishing thing. It just gives you a, a breadth of knowledge. And I think, you know, very rarely does a young manager just walk straight out of college, find an act that works and gets in and does that. Do that, but learn other skills and do other things because it's all going to help and, and help you progress quickly. What do you think one of the most challenging things about being a manager is today? Um, I mean, there's loads of challenges. I mean, obviously, the amount of breaking artists out of the UK is very, very slim. And so therefore making, being able to survive as a manager is really, really difficult. Um, so I think, you know, just I think just generally surviving, having the resilience. The resilience is, I think, the biggest thing. I've had so many knockdowns. I've had so many failures. I've seen albums come out and then watch the sales just drop. And... I think to be able to pick yourself up after that a time and time and time again where the band split up or the artist quits or they leave you or, you know, and keep going, that's something every manager has to have is you just have to have complete belief in the artist and then you'd be able to pick yourself up if something doesn't work and relook at it and try and try and try again and look at every angle. Um, but it's hard out there. 
but you i think for most managers it's just and it sounds corny but it's a calling you don't do it for the cash if we're in it for the money we'd go and work in finance like you don't do it for the for, sorry <laughs> it's like the priesthood yeah yeah according exactly. to the church yeah, it is a calling. <laughs> you don't do it for the cash i think you don't do it for the glamour because it's not glamorous um you know it's just something you can't help doing and no matter how hard i've tried to do other stuff working in tv and other areas i keep coming back to this and i'm here now and you know luckily it's working but it's taken me i've been managing now alongside other jobs for 20 years so you know it's been a long old road but um but worth it so when you are having those really tough days or even i think it's fair to say management is a long journey so it can be tough years yeah not just tough days or tough weeks it can be a tough year few yeah. years is is the I think you described it as calling, which is a really good way. Is is that the thing that motivates you and keeps you grounded? Because I'm sure there's been many points, and every management you just said where they've literally been like, "What am I doing? I'm going to quit this and and go and work in an office like this is madness." Especially because I think it's fair to say, and if you're okay with me, second pop, you've got a family to support as well. Yeah. So there must be those stresses and strains early on, maybe when the money wasn't as fluid as it can be when you're with a successful artist. So what? in those times when you've got a lot of stress from different factors coming in really motivates you to be like, no, this, this is going to happen. I'm going to stay in course. I know Tom, for example, it, it, it will work. Um, blind belief or stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I don't know. I think, you know, we've, I mean, I remember when I left Universal, I'd make the decision. I had a bit of pipeline income and I was like, great, I'm going to make the decision. And then it was, I think, three weeks after I left Universal, my wife turned around to me and went, hey, darling, I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, and I thought it was going to detract me from sort of the focus of what I need to do. But actually, it motivated me. And, you know, I want to kind of provide for my family and I want to kind of um, ensure we have a nice lifestyle. But I just think, as you say, because it's the calling, it's just something you you have to keep picking yourself up and, and keep moving on and not give up. I mean, I've had years where my management company would have gone under where I've not made money, but I have a, a music library on the side, which is because, you know, I realized managers don't actually really own anything. So I needed to own something. And with my sync background, having a production music library means I can make music, um, have the sync understanding, actually own an asset that I can, you know, can make money whilst I sleep. So that has kept me going for a few years. I've done some consultancy on the side for different companies. Um, you know, I've come up with projects and concepts and, you know, I think you just got to be innovative and keep adapting and keep being creative to, to get through the hard times. But, you know, I think your family and your friends keep you grounded at all times. Um, and I think you just got to believe in yourself. And it, it is that kind of blind obsession and belief that doesn't allow you to give up. Uh, yeah. That's a really good way of looking at it, actually. Blind, blind obsession and belief. I quite like that as a term. <laughs> Name of a record label, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we talked about sort of your coping mechanisms and the things that motivate you and something that we're looking at quite a lot in the podcast at the moment. And it's quite a big topic just around the whole world. It's mental health and how we look after our mental health as people that work in the music industry, because we are not only have our own mental health to worry about but we also have the mental health of our artists and people who work with us to worry about because we know that it is a job that can be very stressful can be very lonely and isolating despite the fact that it can look very glamorous being on the road away from family friends loved ones can take its toll also it's fair to say it's not without its temptations uh, when people are on the road or are in a certain point of success so have you taken an active role in trying to 
look after your own mental health and make sure that you have the time that you need to away from all the craziness to to look after yourself but also how are you looking at and tackling for example let's look at Tom Tom is only going to get bigger now and will be probably away more and and subjected isn't the right word um experiencing more things and be busier how are you going to make sure that he's looked after or or identify points if he might be struggling and he needs time yeah and it it's a really hard balance i I especially think because the pressure of the music industry i think the pressures of releasing records globally and when you have what tom's having where they're working globally they're you required to be everywhere in one all at one time um i think we both Tom and I have had periods of time throughout the last five years where we both have suffered mentally because of the certain pressures, deadlines, changes in plans, the amount of work we've had on. Um, and we've worked through them and we've talked about it a lot and we're very conscious of it. I think one of the good things we've tried to do is put a good team in place. So, and the right personalities with the right ethos, with the right moral compasses across the band, the tour manager, the front of house, all of them, have been carefully selected to be, you know, just generally good, honest, right people for Tom to manage that balance of Tom being having fun and also Tom being grounded and and not just Tom, but I think with any artist, you've got to be surrounded by people who actually all want the same thing for you and actually care about you. So my job daily is saying no to people about them pushing more and more and more. I'm turning down. It's pretty much my job is turning stuff down right now. Um, which is good, but still the diary's full. So we are having to try and make things more comfortable for Tom. We're trying to find that balance of, you know, um, keeping him mentally healthy whilst also doing everything we need to do as an artist. And, you know, we've, and, and him trying to see his girlfriend who, you know, his fiance who, you know, she came on a bit of the tour with him. We try and bring his friends on tour. One of the photographers is one of his mates that we try and get him on to do and stuff. So we try and bring his mates to him. Um, and it's something we regularly monitor. I speak to the team every single day, to numerous different members, and to Tom to try and make sure he's okay. Um, and I think we all just, you know, there's, a, you know, we use other tools like Headspace helps sometimes when you just need to have like calm down a little bit. Um, and so yeah, it's 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 a hard road. I don't have the exact answer. It's just I think the team is very important in trying to find a balance somehow. It's interesting because obviously we're looking at his mental health now because he is successful and he's only going to have more pressure put on him and things but how did you and him struggle I think you said in the early days when there wasn't the success and the mental health was more maybe about is this going to work should I be doing this am I on the right path how did you help motivate him to be like no you you, you're talented this is going to work because that I imagine that's a massive thing for a manager as well there must be points when you do have you do waver from the insane belief that you know that it's going to be successful because you're human and every now and again things thoughts creep in and you think oh god maybe this isn't going to work and if it isn't what shall I do next so how did you manage in the the, I don't call them the dark days the early days is the term I'm going to use um I think the early days I mean there's we I guess the early days was about questioning of uh, from uh, sometimes where are you going as an artist and is this going to work as you say and I think sort of you, we've had certain times where we've needed a win. You know, you have a moment which is, which is great and that falls and then you go, we ha- how do we get up the next rung, rung, rung of the ladder? 
And I think, again, with the team around us, we have, there's a lot of push and pull. There's a lot of tension sometimes, which is good tension. And it forces us to kind of come up with other ideas and look at other ways we can do things. And I think, you know, there's, it's, there's just a lot of talking. And I think, the, again, communication is the most important thing. Being able to sit down with your artist and have a cup of coffee or breakfast or whatever it is and just talk them through of where they are, where they've come from and, you know, the the different things that could happen. And they know you're going to stick with them. And I think whatever happens, and this is the blind belief thing. I think when you find somebody you absolutely believe in, you will be looking at all angles all the time, two steps ahead. What If this happens, we'll do this. If this happens, we do that. If this happens, we don't know what's going to be the outcome. We'll adapt and don't worry. We'll be fine. And we'll, and listening to what the artist wants as well, knowing when it's a good idea, knowing when it's a bad idea. Um, and I've also learned, you know, personally learned that quite often in the early days, I was a, I'd, I'd sort of make a decision in the instant that it was right or wrong and that we do things. And I've learned actually sometimes just to let it lie for a day or two, look into options, even if it isn't going to work, you've, the artist appreciates the understanding of you've looked into it, you've thought about it. They've also thought about it. And quite often they come back and go, actually, that was a silly idea. So, um, yeah, it's just, I think just communication, just that balance of, you know, sharing ideas and trying different things um, and the trust in each other. You know, you know, you've got a great artist. They know we've got a good manager. If it's a team, it works. Do you think that impulse that you said where in the early days you'd feel like you had to answer there and then, does that come from, I think sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes people feel like if they don't have an answer there and then, it looks like they don't know what they're doing. So they feel like their gut is to naturally react, if that makes sense. I know quite a lot of younger managers who I've worked with who can be quite impulsive straight away. And then, like you said, they've gone away and they've thought about it. And I've said to them, well, why did you say that? And they just said, because I wanted to sort of look like I knew what I was talking about. And I wanted to be quick and on the ball because I think that's what management is. So it's quite interesting that you talked about that you were like that. And then you took a step back and you're happy now to say, let me think about it. Um, I think we all have a sort of we all make we can all make a quick call on things and I think sometimes you know I mean sometimes I don't think it was of the pressure of going I need to say something and give an opinion straight away I think it's just based on experience sometimes you sort of think well I think this is where we're at with that and but for an artist whether you're right or wrong the artist doesn't always want to hear the truth straight away they need to come around to that truth or you know and I think a lot of the time with, with Tom I the way you know with and with a lot of artists they're processors they are not a sort of machine logic you put in the information and straight away they go okay that i can see that being the outcome even if you give them a logical answer sometimes it takes them a good long while to realize you know this is what they have to do because a lot of things they don't want to do the idea of performing in front of a massive television show you know scares them often you know and they don't want to do it and so you have to kind of bring them on board and make them realize and allow them to reach their own decision of why they should do it. And I think, you know, that was a certain thing is I often jumped in and went, yeah, but I've done it before. It doesn't work. And actually that was the, the wrong attitude at the time. It should be, okay, let me have a think about it. Let's, let's, you know, let's talk about it and come back and, and we've looked into it and it hasn't worked or it does work or we're going to try it. Um, but I think it's important, especially as things get busier and busier, the artist finds that their lives are taken out of their hands and they'll wake up, they'll look at the diary or not look at the diary and suddenly be shipped to all over the world and expect to perform straight away. 
And I think the hard thing is to try and give them a sense of control or a sense of um, it's their career, not the record companies or anyone else's. And that's that's a balance and thing is, is always hard because on a promo run, they've got to be everywhere, but you want them to feel as though that it's their decision. And that can just take a little time for them to come to terms with. Makes sense. So it's it's almost like you are, I suppose you can say the manager is the role of the ones that we've interviewed so far, they're sort of like accountant, therapist, best friend, brother, disciplinary, and all, the, maybe not disciplinary, but all these different things. And so would you say that's sort of from what you're saying and the experience you have with Tom and the way that you work with him and manage his expectations, but also make sure he's protected, would you say it's safe to say that there are all those roles and maybe even some more in management? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is partly being like a parent. I've got two kids and, you know, and I think it is very, very similar. Some days you have to be high-fiving and having great fun with them and playing around and having a laugh. Other days you're having to sort of slightly direct them and teach them. Um, other days you need to listen to them and, and actually hear what they're saying and encourage them. And and yeah, it is it is a, a psychological thing. It is a friendship thing. It is a brother thing. It is a father thing. It, yeah, you have to be wear many, many different hats and... It's like any relationship. You've got to work at it. So let's take it back to Tom's journey. And were there any particular markers or points in time from when you first started with Tom to where you are now that you looked at and thought, this is starting to go the right way. Things are starting to go. How many of them to go? Certain things that happened maybe in streaming, radio, live, anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting looking back and seeing how sort of different tracks provided a, a different entry point into different markets or into a sort of different audiences. Um, you know, the first thing we did was when we put out the first single, which was Sun Goes Down, it was a much cooler track. And we got support from sort of, you know, Specialist Radio, Annie Mac, One Extra. And it, it sort of, we became a sort of tastemaker artist for a minute. Um, and then the second track was sort of a little bit shunned by the tastemaker market and but was embraced very much by the singer-songwriter market and the streaming world so the first track didn't stream very well but got us some very cool looks on on radio the second track didn't get radio but really streamed well across you know youtube and spotify and apple and and really opened up a of the streaming market for us and built those relationships was it more of a global market brought to you as well um yes i mean i think streaming generally um especially in the single songwriter world open you know in the way playlists are done i think it, it does become a global uh, but it, it wasn't a, it wasn't the turning point globally it was the start of allowing people to discover tom and you know sort of the lean back listener who will be listening to mellow pop and things like that and then just suddenly go oh yeah i like this and so it, it was a way we could start building the live We'll start building the audience awareness, which helped us start building the live fan base and allowed us to, without having a hit, for people to discover Tom and want to come to shows. Um, And we had this kind of back and forth with uh, the the next track didn't stream well, but also, but got us Radio 1, BBC Introducing Track of the Week and and then the one up, but then it didn't stream and then the next one did stream. and, And we kind of had this sort of back and forth. And then what we found was we were stuck we were hearing from radio stations that we have big daytime radio tracks but we need to build via specialist and we were hearing from specialist radio that we had big time daily radio tracks but they weren't cool enough for specialist so we were sort of stuck in this place this was one of the first key things that i think we felt what are we going to do 
and was holding us back globally from having the confidence of the UK going into other markets. And we applied for the Radio 1 Brit list and that was really one of the first big key things that changed it globally for us. Getting Radio 1 to break down that door of are we cool, are we commercial and go, these are great songs, we're going to support them and know that the next few singles we had would be supported allowed us to tap into the mainstream market and open doors for us. And as soon as that radio started playing it and and streaming, we were supporting us already and and that kind of grew and grew, the rest of the world started looking at us and going, oh, great, they're doing really well in their own territory. And it just gave them more confidence to push harder. And then Leave a Light On came out and then it all, all the dots were joined and it just flew. And in fact, I mean, Europe... Italy led the way and it went very quickly to top 10 there and spread through up Switzerland and Austria and, and Radio 1 were and other stations were incredible about playing that track and I think it was such a big hit in Europe um, that we then but we sort of, sort of peaked at 40 in the UK um, singles charts and it was then we suddenly got the Sony Bravia ad and that changed everything for us we went decided to make the very bold and at the time i was questioning this decision to go back on it after we've just been off radio for four weeks five weeks and do another push and with the support of radio one and then it became kiss and then other stations radio two and it allowed us to really really build to a top 10 single and we were top 10 globally and has gone platinum and it's still selling i think we're nearly a million records on in the uk alone on that track with nearly about three and a bit million globally so um yeah the, the brits list was a big turning point leave a light on as a song was a big turning point for us and then i think after that the tvs came in and there's been a few key moments such as stand up to cancer and x factor tvs that have really helped us join the dots in the UK market and some other big TVs abroad um, that have made people who realise who Tom is rather than just what is that one song. And then obviously the Brit nomination came. And the Brit nomination was another uh, incredible moment. Um, yeah, we worked hard for that. That was a re- We really campaigned across the UK to try and, as it was public vote, to try and get people to buy into Tom and and we tapped into his Scottish heritage and from Manchester as well and and just really tried to connect with the general public and make them aware and go, this is Tom who sung this track, who has this other song and, and you know, please give us your support. And, and it worked, which was amazing. And when it came to doing all those things, but also making sure that you had to make an album in between all these other sort of things that were going on for Tom, how did you make sure that, he had the time to do that because I think you said earlier on in the podcast that obviously I think the album was originally due to come out in October and then it got pushed back and obviously that worked very well in your favour he's had a number one album now how did you make sure in the time of him doing all the promo and making sure that you capitalise on on all the radio and the TV opportunities did he have a chance to go in and actually be Tom and be creative and write an album it was hard so there was the album was produced by three different people predominantly um jim abyss uh, jim abyss who'd done tom's favorite album you know biotic monkeys and had done adele um that was that always was a longer session more creative process for tom he had complete free reign in the studio and him and jim really got creative with how they recorded so that we put as much time as we could in with jim because that took a while mike spencer 
um, produced some of the other tracks and they had a really good relationship. Tom would go in, record bits. Mike would work on it whilst while Tom was away and came back. Um, and then Steve Mack uh, is sort of, they write a song together and then Steve just finishes the production. Um, so each three different very personalities, each with limited time. And uh, it was, some of it was done before, which was great. But over the summertime leading up to um, when we were going to release it to October, it was very hard. Tom was touring in America. We were mixing it remotely. So I was on the phone to the mixers during the day. They would send out mixes. I then need to find a mastering studio mix studio somewhere in the middle of America for Tom to listen to at two o'clock in the morning um, to then send notes back so I could then tell the mix of the next day. Um, it was difficult um, with the pressure of trying to deliver it on time, but, you know, it had to be done. And, you know, we, we had some great songs and some songs came out brilliant. Other songs didn't make the cut. Um, but yeah, that was a stressful time period. But at the end of the day, and Tom and I have spoken about this numerous times, is although the process wasn't always what we'd like, and that we'd like, all love to have three or four months in a residential studio getting completely creative, we're all, and he's especially very proud of the album he's produced and the songs that have written. And I think sometimes it's, you know, it can always be a great, great time getting there, but it's the end result that matters. And how did you feel when you finally delivered the album and you were like, this is it, this is done? Tired? <laughs> Elated. Absolutely exhausted. I actually couldn't listen to the album until pretty much by the time it came out. We had to, it was was so all consuming for all of us. I think we got to a point where we're like, right, that's done. Once it'd been mastered, once we'd gone over the masters and everything with a fine tooth comb, I think we needed to just have a break from it so we could actually enjoy it. And I think, you know, there's some albums you make that you sort of go, yeah, I've, I've done that and you don't listen to. I actually genuinely love this album and genuinely enjoy listening to it. And uh, I think I needed that break to be able to come back to it and enjoy it as, an, as a body of music because it was quite a stressful time. So moving forward now, and obviously I believe Tom has lots of touring coming up and um, other things and more singles and things. Um what excites you about the future of your journey in music management? Is there anything in particular that you are looking forward to? Are there new developments that you would like to happen in music? Personally, um, you know, we're now working on a global level. And in the olden days, you release an album in one territory and you work through. Now we're releasing globally all at once. And that has been a massive learning curve for me. Um, both politically, both strategy and promo and the relationships we're building. So I, I'm really excited about doing more in America. We've got the Late Late Show with James Corden coming up. We've got some tours and there's other big promo opportunities. And you know, now what else has happened in Europe? We're really moving in the, into the States. We're looking at Singapore and India and uh, Australia and Japan and other territories never been before. So I think the growth and the, you know, of me as a manager and the management company and as Tom as an artist, that really excites me of exp- having these new, op- new opportunities and learning what I've learned over here and, and expanding that globally and how we're going to structure that and hopefully the growth of my management company and what we do and our, our knowledge. Um, from a point of view of what I think the, where I'm excited about the industry, I think one of the things we need to do, and that is great that the MMF are doing, is the, the things like the accelerator program. 
how do we help young managers? Because it's a long road. It's not, you know, it takes a long time to earn money. And we, to encourage the next generation of managers, they need support. I, I myself have, you know, found, been working by myself, I've, I've, you know, you need to have people to talk to. There's times both where for mental health, for, you know, making the right decision or advice, you need people to go to. You need that understanding of experience or just somebody to bounce ideas off. And being a manager can be a lonely and hard task. So having somebody like the MMF and the accelerator programs where we help fund you know, managers coming through and give them a bit of support and financial uh, backing to continue the growth, I think is vital. And I think managers banding together to try and help each other and collaborate both through their artists and through um, knowledge will allow us to break more artists globally. I think we're all learning both as, as the music industry and as the artist community and as the management community, things have changed a lot and they're changing daily. And we're, we're still learning all of us every day about how we can break an artist via this new world of streaming, how we can, you know, manage things in a different economic world and, and, I think we're all moving, but if we work together and talk together and share information together, I think we'll survive and we'll, we'll grow as an industry. Thank you so much for your time, Simon, and congratulations on all your hard work, Tom's hard work, the Brits, the number one album, and I wish you much success for the future. Oh, what an absolute gentleman Simon is. That was Sophie there talking to Simon King, of course, Tom Walker's brilliant manager. I loved that interview there. It was so good to hear Guy be so level-headed and be so honest about, you know, the failures, the fact of how long he's worked in music and not necessarily always been a manager. One thing he said in particular, which was when he was talking about jumping into decisions and how maybe in his early days of management, he would just like maybe try and cover up his lack of knowledge or maybe he felt like he wanted to project that he knew everything. So he thought the route to that was by answering really quickly and making decisions really quickly. And now he's come to realize that, do you know what? Maybe take a day or two, maybe let the artist take a day or two and then make that decision. And everything might seem a little more balanced and a little more calm. I love that bit of advice. Yeah, and I think being level-headed seems to be something that the managers that we interview who maybe had a bit more experience seem to talk about a lot more. Obviously, if we go back to Jamie Oburn, went the 1975, I always remember he said something about being quiet in the room is actually more beneficial yes. than speaking a lot of the time. You learn a lot more. I love and that. And it seems like Simon is at that point where he's, you know, he's taking those moments to sit back and actually think about it, which I really like. I also really like that time and time again, something that's coming up in our interviews is how important it is to have experience before you get into management. Simon obviously worked in sync, he worked in advertising, and he said that those, that experience helped him no end in terms of contacts and and just learning a bit about the industry. Uh, A big thank you as always to the MMF for supporting us and of course our brilliant sponsors who we would not be able to do the podcast without. AWOL. AWOL is an amazing distribution service that is owned by Cobalt that empowers artists and puts the control and the power in the artist's hands. And thank you so much for listening again, guys. You can check out all our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, all the Android podcast apps. So give us a listen. And also, if you love us, please give us a review. That would be great. And if you want to get in touch, it's at ManageThatPod on Twitter or Instagram and we'd love it if you gave us a shout with any particular area of management that you'd like us to delve into 
on our next interview. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And we will be back in a fortnight's time with another amazing manager and hopefully another amazing episode. Goodbye. Bye. How Did You Manage That is brought to you by the MMF and sponsored by AWOL. The podcast is produced and hosted by Sophie Pallock and Ali McRae. Original music by Callum Wiseman.